Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 323, Ozempic, Wonder Drug or Too Good to Be True. We are going to be breaking down in this episode the mechanisms of action of the semaglutide injection known as Ozempic or Wigovi. We're also going to break down what this drug does, why you might not want to be taking it, and some safer and more effective alternatives. So this has been a big request. A couple of our ambassadors kind of teed this up to us, I think, and we are always happy to get on the train of what the Kardashians are doing, what Elon Musk is doing, and probably shut it down. (laughs) Um, So this medication has made quite an impact. We're looking at $198 million in the first three months of this year, it's been all the rage with all of the celebrities. Yes. Um, as well as 313 million views on TikTok with the hashtag Ozempic. So very trendy right now. Yes. So in today's episode, we're going to nerd out a little bit on how this drug works, the side effects of the drug, and how you can get similar weight loss results in a safer approach, as well as what works best for sustainable weight loss results. Can't wait to get into all of that. And of course, y'all know that we love to be a little controversial here. So it'll be a great episode as always. But before we get into that, we are recording in real time. If you've heard us the last couple months, we mega loaded to support Becky's maternity three months off. And now we have a new baby in the Naturally Nourished family. Yes. So Mabel Joy was born on September 17th. She's coming right up on her three month birthday, which is impossible to believe (laughs) Um, and it's just awesome and crazy and the adjustment to two kids is a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) I had so much fun dancing with her today so it's always a treat to hang out with little Miss Mabel and all of the tutus and girly things so I mean I love buying stuff for Noah too but oh no girl clothes are a different world. (laughs) Yeah I mean it's it's trouble. Yes, yeah. trouble. <laughs> so before we get into Ozempics, I want to uh, Ozempic. I want to talk to you a moment about Peak State Coffee. This is today's podcast sponsor, and uh, I have talked to you all in the past about how coffee, as much as I love the nostalgia of it and the flavor of it, is not always my friend for my nervous system. It tends to key me up because I'm someone that already runs pretty high adrenaline. But Peak State Coffee has actual noted health benefits, and it mitigates that fight or flight stress response by adding in 500 milligrams of nootropic mushrooms. So you get lion's mane, reishi, chaga, and their coffee itself is going to be chemical-free, mold-free, non-GMO, and low acidity. This is a great way to enjoy your daily cup of coffee while still getting an adaptogenic boost of mushrooms for your brain. We're also going to have less pH imbalance with that lower acidity in the bean, and we can balance that fight-or-flight stress response as those nootropic mushrooms tonify that fight-or-flight impact. And I will say that Mr. Miller is quite the coffee nerd. He's all about the chemex and the rituals of brewing coffee. And I will say a lot of these coffee alternatives on the market really taste like dirt water um, and they have a bad texture. They don't have a good flavor profile. Peak State Coffee uses a, a grind option, but you can also get them in the whole bean form. So in my household, we buy whole bean and this is super key because it reduces the acidity. It reduces the jitter effect for me. It's well tolerated and I enjoy that little bit of caffeine boost with it being paired with cognitive clarity. And it does not disrupt my gut at all or create that bowel urgency or kind of um, increased neurological impact. So go on over to peakstatecoffee.com backslash Allie Miller RD 
or make sure that you check out the link in our show notes. When you use Allie Miller RD as your coupon code, you're going to save 20% off and you'll get free shipping on just two bags or more. Again, peaksteakcoffee.com slash Allie Miller RD. Definitely check it out. And I'm sure that it'll become your new favorite brew. Yes, and as someone who doesn't tolerate cold brew super well, despite having a cold brew habit, I drank this stuff all of KetoCon weekend and did just fine. No jitters at all. So their cold brew is also a really good option. Yes, you can buy them. I believe it's four packs of the cans. Uh, We sell them at the Naturally Nourished Market, and I've been using raw milk with that because then I still get my benefits of my raw milk. I still get it to look, you know, that like toffee caramel color and a little bit of those tannins, that bitter flavor profile to offset the creaminess of the raw milk. And uh, it's been really fabulous. Well, I'm picking some of that up today. Okay. Cool. All right, let's get into it. So what exactly is Ozempic or Wegovy? Let's kind of go over the mechanisms here. Yes. So again, it's known as a semaglutide and these are GLP-1 receptor agonists. So an agonist, not an antagonist, an agonist is actually going to enhance the influence on that receptor site of this compound. So GLP-1, known as glucagon-like peptidide 1, is a natural hormone that impacts satiety and blood sugar levels. So GLP-1 has multiple actions. It can actually promote beta cell growth, which are the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. It can protect against beta cell apoptosis or the turnover of the beta cells. And it can reduce glucagon secretion from the alpha cells of the pancreas. And so glucagon is the hormone that would stimulate gluconeogenesis or or the production of glucose from the liver, whereas insulin is the hormone made in the beta cells of the pancreas that is going to bring glucose levels down. Now, this is already kind of concerning because we're talking about this being a weekly injection and we're essentially consistently stimulating the pancreas to put out insulin with no regulatory on-off response. Historically, prior to using these semaglutide medications, the GLP-1 would only be stimulated at times of eating. So, you know, we're doing this weekly injection and it's kind of this constant trickle to influence the beta cells of the pancreas. And as we'll get into, one of the more severe side effects is pancreatitis because we see inflammation in that organ. It's a dysregulated, unnatural response essentially. Right. So we're sending the body into this overdrive mode, whereas normally it would shut off off and on. Yes. Now, what's beneficial in the world of satiety is that when a person's eating, GLP-1 will also send the brain an I'm full signal. Mm. And so, you know, you're getting that enhanced satiety and this can reduce frequency of eating or can help with portion control, which can support along with calorie controlled diet weight loss results. Um, The gut basically secretes GLP-1 and targets receptors throughout the body, including the brain. And again, generally is going to be released at mealtime, but this injectable is going to have a enhanced GLP-1 expression ongoing. The GLP-1 signal also decreases gastric emptying. So beyond that signal to the brain, specifically in the stomach pouch, the stomach is going to move slower into that first part of the small intestine. And um, that's going to create more of a physiological level of satiety as well. And um, we've also seen in studies that GLP-1 deficiency is correlated with those with dysregulated blood sugar or dysglycemia or diabetes and obesity. So they tend to have lower levels of GLP-1. Okay. So let's talk about how this GLP-1 is typically going to be stimulated in the body because it sounds like it's a good thing. We just don't want it overstimulated. Right. So generally it's stimulated by food consumption and the highest response that we'll generally see is going to be in glucose, fructose, carbs in general. So when we're looking at more insulin dependent foods, we're going to see higher GLP-1 release. We've even seen non-caloric sweeteners having a role And that's often one of my kind of nerdy points when I'm talking about how non-caloric sweeteners can have this ding-dong ditch effect. You're tasting sweet on your tongue and there are actually GLP receptors on your tongue. And so that stimulates, as I've mentioned before, you know, the pancreas is going to then secrete insulin thinking that there's glucose to bring into the cells. But when there is no glucose, this is where individuals can get hypoglycemia, blood sugar crashes, or actually over time increased hunger because the body's 
sensed or thought that it ate, but then there's not mm-hmm. that fullness influence from actual food. Okay. Um, and so obviously, you know, when we're looking to manage diabetes, support weight loss, we wouldn't be eating the glucose and fructose mentioned. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk a little about that. Yeah. I mean, right. We wouldn't just look to, and that's what's always interesting when we unpack these nuances, Mm -hmm. like GLP has interesting mechanisms in satiety and can help with weight loss and can help with blood sugar control, but we wouldn't want to eat glucose and fructose and high carbs. We'd be getting fatty liver. We'd be making, of course, worse blood sugar imbalance, and we'd be driving inflammation and um, imbalance in the body. But we have seen in the world of more of a Mediterranean approach that there are other foods that can actually influence GLP-1. So olive oil is one that we've seen in medical literature to be one that can enhance GLP-1. And this would be an approach when we're looking at like our food as medicine keto approach, how we can achieve that satiety and that longer sustained weight loss without stressing the body with the side effects of the shot or stressing the body driving weight gain with eating the foods that are going to cause a blood sugar spike right and I mean just having to give yourself a weekly injection for me that's enough (laughs) yeah that puts me off enough but um before we even talk about some of the side effects because I'm thinking you know delayed gastric emptying doesn't sound good and let's go down the line but let's first cover what would make someone deficient in GLP-1 in the first place Yes. So I had mentioned, you know, there is definitely association of those that have dysglycemia or dysregulated blood sugar levels, as well as those that are dealing with obesity or those that are overweight, um, especially if over-consuming carbs. Over time, what goes up must come down. And so they'll over time have a deficiency of GLP-1. What's also interesting though, and I had to really dig into unique literature, I found a research study on LPS, which is lipopolysaccharide, um, and this is a marker of gut infection or leaky gut. And um, we've seen that those that have elevated LPS levels also tend to have higher amounts of GLP-1 secreted. And the concept in this research study was that not only is there a gut inflammation connection, but that higher amounts of the GLP-1 attempts to normalize gut health. And over time, however, someone that has a chronic gut infection, like maybe candida that they haven't treated, or is dealing with leaky gut and autoimmune pathology, they could have over time depleted. Again, what goes up must come Mm -hmm. down. And so they may have had with that spike of LPS, a spike of GLP-1, but over time, that constant stressor on the body is going to reduce that. And then they're going to be dealing with that dissatisfaction at eating time, cravings, um, eating more calories than are necessary for their metabolic health and getting irregular blood sugar response because of that insulin connection as well. Okay. And then, you know, creating dependency on the drug if we're using um, Ozempic. Um, And so these drugs aren't new. Um, They're getting a big buzz for whatever reason in the last year, but GLP-1 analogs are not new. In fact, they've been on the market in some form or another for 15 plus years. Yes. I remember actually when I was getting my diabetes education license in 2012, Victosa Mm -hmm. was the drug that that was the first injectable. It was like, okay, well, it's not insulin, but was kind of the caveat. And the benefit was this might also help you lose weight. Um, And so I remember a lot of... uh, people that were interested in exploring this new drug, but also there was a lot of uh, hesitancy for those that never wanted to be insulin dependent to go into the world of using an injectable medication on a weekly basis. And so I think at that time, there was a little bit more of a conservative approach and really was only used for diabetes. Mm -hmm. Just in the last couple years now, have some of these been approved to use outside of the standardized recommendation and in the world of weight loss. And I think with vanity, we've also seen more openness to um, using medications uh, maybe more proactively versus um, hesitant to take on medications, things like Botox, needles have kind of lost some of that fear factor, I suppose. Um, So it's definitely been in the the pop culture movement, if you will. Yes. 
Um, let's cover maybe some of the research and a little bit more of the nerdy stuff here. I know Ryan Lowry had a, a recent YouTube that was really good on dissecting this. Yes, I'll link the study that he broke down and um, his YouTube video on it. Um, he's a dear friend. We saw him at KetoCon over the summer. And, you know, what he called out, the study he reviewed was called Efficacy and Safety of Once Weekly Semaglutide Monotherapy Versus Placebo in People with Type 2 Diabetes. And they did see, yes, that the A1C decreased. They saw that those that were using the one milligram or two milligram versus the placebo respectively lost 3.7 kilograms, 4.53 kilograms, and just under one kilogram at 0.98 kilograms with the placebo. But what he calls out, which is really interesting, is this was a 30-week study. And he says, you know, that less than one kilogram, mind you, is less than 2.2 pounds in 30 weeks. And he said, how crappy was the diet and Mm -hmm. exercise protocol? He says, you could lose a kilogram popping MCT oil into your coffee and unloading in the bathroom and probably losing 2.2 pounds. So the fact that they... it looks like, and often we see this, I looked at another study called Once Weekly Semaglutide in Adults with Overweight or Obesity. Um, they did see at week 68, so again, we're looking over a year, um, 31% of participants who received the placebo had lost at least 5% of their baseline body weight. Um, and there was a higher amount that did um, see weight loss with the medication, of course. But the authors note a conflict of interest, which includes over 10 pharmaceutical companies, Noro Nordisk was one, which is the producer, and AstraZeneca, et cetera. Um, and so we have to be mindful that when we're looking at research studies that push the benefits of a drug, that often they are looking to prove the influence of the drug to be beneficial to sell the drug. Um, so always looking at the conflict of interest statement at the bottom of a study and getting details on what did their placebo group intervention look like mm-hmm. um, because that's a really crummy weight loss diet exercise protocol where you're getting less than 2.2 pounds in 30 weeks. Uh, yeah, and I'm assuming it wasn't keto because if we had a study that compared it to keto, I think we'd see way more dramatic effects. And we'll talk about that we will. in a little bit. Yes. Um, let's get into the side effects a little bit. I know GI is kind of one of the big hits there. Yeah, and I mean, first I think we need to call it the really severe ones. So again, you know, there's a strong, well, one of the impacts that I think is worth noting is that on an influence from pop culture or the fact that this has been in shape magazine and glamour and on TikTok and whatnot is that there's now a shortage of the drug for those Mm -hmm. people that were dependent on this with type 2 diabetes. So those individuals that had hyperinsulinemia or too much insulin in their blood and now are in hypoinsulinemia, this is a drug that could be used, again, preceding the need for insulin. And now we're starting to see shortages because people are using this that had fine blood sugar control to help with that weight loss and satiety effect. Now, what's concerning is that could absolutely throw an individual that had balanced blood sugar levels dependent in using this to maintain blood sugar levels. We just don't have the long-term studies on non-diabetics using this drug and how this influences when off the drug their A1C. And I would anticipate or hypothesize that there's going to be some refractory uh, rebound effect driving hyperglycemia and onset of diabetes in a large population, which for pharmaceutical companies is a good thing because they have many different tools to help you to now add in that Pharmageddon of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 drugs. Um, so beyond the influence of being dependent on a medication and the concern of shortage for those that are in need of the medication as they're trying to see their weight loss results to manage their disease state, we can see strong side effects that are actually on the homepage for these drugs. And yes, nausea and vomiting are for sure the top two most common and um, can get quite severe, especially when we're looking at those that are dealing with electrolyte imbalance, those that are more in the elderly population, which would be more prone towards electrolyte imbalance, then they can experience things like arrhythmia um, or irregular heart rate secondary to that imbalance of electrolytes. But we've also seen on the strong side effects on the website homepage, pancreatitis, which is inflammation of the pancreas, 
kidney failure, and thyroid cancer. And then there's more common side effects that we'll see, including uh, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, headaches, fatigue, dyspepsia or indigestion, dizziness, abdominal bloating or distension, belching, low blood sugar levels, as I mentioned, that false kind of ding-dong ditching effect. And then um, we can see pretty severe flatulence because again, we're interfering with how the digestive system works. So we can even see not only slower motility, which can drive constipation, but we can see a higher susceptibility to gastroenteritis, which is going to be an intestinal infection. So if you consumed a foodborne illness and you have sluggish bowel mm-hmm. motility, you're allowing that infection to get more severe and take over your gut versus allowing your immune system to eradicate and get that out of there. Um, Um, And we're also seeing pretty severe GERD or um, heartburn. Yep. So enough side effects to make me sure not want to take it. Um. Yeah. And and not to mention, I mean, I think we should talk about the expense. Yeah. How much does it cost per injection? And the problem is there's been a lot of volatility in the pricing structure. Mm -hmm. So someone will start this medication and what it cost one month might be different three months down the line. And often these drugs are not covered by insurance. And again, I think the biggest thing that I would note before we get into the numbers is that dependency on this type of a tool to yield medical outcomes is not freedom in your body because you're relying on now a third party to maintain the results and the hard work that you've put out there. And I think that's a really good point is once you go on this, you lose, you know, a dynamic amount of weight in a couple of months time, but you're going to need to continue this drug. Is that correct? For you know, inevitably, otherwise you're going to rebound right? or you're going to rebound. And like I said, beyond rebounding in the weight, you're likely going to rebound with more dysglycemia than you started with. So that's the big concern because blood sugar dysregulation drives, as we know, not just diabetes, but dementia, Alzheimer's, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, aches, pain, inflammation, you know, sugar itself when elevated in the bloodstream is an oxidative stress. And so it can be really an Achilles heel of many different chronic illnesses. And so when we look at Ozempic and the Wejovi, um, we see a range of um, anywhere from $713.65 um, at, the, at the higher threshold, um, starting with the 356.82. Um, and that's kind of the range that we'll see in the Ozempics. And then um, pretty comparable, the We Govi or We Jovi, I don't know, Govi, um, that one's going to be pretty consistent at the 404.71 last time we looked. Okay. Um, and that's per injection. So that's per week? I believe that's per okay. week. Okay. Um, which is pretty pricey if it's not covered by insurance. And and yeah, even if it's per month, you know, when we're looking at something like the cost of our food is medicine keto program, where you're paying $2.99 for seven plus hours, because it's six classes that are an hour plus each, you know, of education that can last a lifetime that isn't dependent, but you can feel empowered by, um, you know, we're really looking at, of course, a synergistic effect of beneficial outcomes like lowering your statin drug dosage, getting off of maybe some of your immunosuppressants or your heartburn medication like Nexium. You know, we can actually see medication reduction versus dependency, reliability, and breaking the system, if you will. When we're using a food as medicine keto approach, we're enhancing the function of the body. Right. And not to mention comparable weight loss effects in the same amount of time. And even right? more impressive. That's what we'll talk about in a moment. Okay. Um, so let's cover maybe some of the natural things that can impact um, this GLP-1 expression, how these can be synergistic for whole body health. Um, and then let's get into more of the like sustainable approaches for weight loss. Okay, so GLP-1 is made in the enteroendocrine L cells, and these compromise about 1% of the epithelial cells in the gut. So the lining of cells in the gut, about 1% of them is made of these enteroendocrine cells, and and this is where the GLP-1 is made. Um, We've seen, actually, that glutamine, um, which this is not that far of an understanding, if we know that LPS, leaky gut, gut inflammation, secretes more GLP-1, we've seen glutamine, which we've talked about in the world of leaky gut. This is an amino acid that can feed enterocytes or gut cells and actually aid in gut tissue repair. 
L-glutamine effectively plays a role in increasing circulating GLP-1. Um, and we've even seen an influence on insulin levels in vivo. And um, this is a potential novel therapeutic approach to stimulate this insulin secretion in obesity and type 2 diabetes. So we use glutamine often when we're thinking of athletes and when we're thinking in the world of leaky gut. But I don't think we really talk about glutamine as much as a tool for obesity and no. blood sugar control. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely that mechanism. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and do we know how much glutamine we're looking at? There was not a uh, research study on a comparative okay. trial. Okay. So I think that that's a, a therapeutic approach that needs to be looked into. But when we're looking at influence on enterocytes, we know it's about three grams. Mm-hmm. And so when we're looking at glutamine in the diet, um, we're really emphasizing, of course, bone broth as a great source here eating ample protein in the first place because it is a type of amino acid. Um, but when we're looking at individuals that had gut distress, maybe especially someone that was on this medication and is trying to wean off and they were dealing with that nausea and diarrhea or vomiting, sure. to get them going on our GI lining support would be a really fabulous tool because that GI lining support has 3.5 grams per scoop. Um, and that would be an effective way to coat and protect those enterocytes, really protecting that epithelial lining. And I think that that would definitely have an influencing factor on the secretion of GLP-1. Sure. Um, and then it looks like protein in and of itself. So not just glutamine coming from, you know, certain animal proteins, but dietary proteins in general are going to have an effect on stimulating GLP-1. Yes, absolutely. There was one study that tried to compare protein grams to uh, glucose in the stimulating influence. Um, And the study basically said it's really hard to compare isolated proteins to get the dosage that you would get from glucose. So to get, you know, 75 grams of protein as opposed to like a glucose tolerance test of 75 grams Mm -hmm. of glucose, you're drinking that in a couple ounces of liquid. Whereas even if we're using egg white or using whey protein, um, there was a study that did a mixture of whey protein and egg protein mixture. And they did see of course enhanced GLP-1 secretion but it wasn't as high as they saw in the glucose but the researchers did note that they weren't able to directly do an isocaloric or a similar gram to gram basis because of the variability of protein needing even when it was more processed proteins it still needs more digestive impact it's going to be a little slower delivery doesn't get in the bloodstream as quickly as glucose so it is hard to compare apples to apples Um, but we did see specifically that whey protein and this would be one that I would emphasize as a food as medicine support uh, whey protein did enhance GLP-1 secretion in non-diabetic and diabetic subjects Um, and it had the highest increment on the GLP-1 secretion. And um, we also saw fat from olive oil, which was really interesting. Um, Olive oil specifically was compared to butter, and olive oil had a better GLP-1 expression. And I think that was an aha moment for me of, you know, some of the things that we know intuitively, but maybe don't have those clinical studies mm-hmm. on of, you know, why does our food as medicine keto approach work for more sustainable outcomes than like a dirty keto? And I think, of course, a part of it is it's higher antioxidant rich, it's anti-inflammatory, but we really do get a blend of not just the saturated fats from butter and coconut oil. We do blend in the whole food fats like avocado, olives, and we do emphasize that monounsaturated fat from olive oil. And that in itself has has influence on thermogenesis, body fat burn. You know, we've seen in studies, for instance, when looking at adiponectin levels, which is that, you know, gray, more metabolically active tissue, that olive oil has a favorable role. And and now we're even seeing specifically on that satiety GLP-1 insulin response. Yep. I'm thinking back to when you started using your olive oil as a fat bomb versus like the butter coconut yeah. oil, right? Yeah, and, no and doubt. all of the synergistic effects, but also just feeling kind of lighter, brighter, using some of those fats. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to over miss, you know, the whey protein element. Mm-hmm. We did a whole episode on whey, so we can yeah. link that. Um, but we did talk about satiety as one of the benefits of whey, you know, especially in our uh, postmenopausal or perimenopausal women population, which are a lot of our clients, I will say, um, we're always trying to make sure that they get ample grams of protein to combat sarcopenia and muscle wasting and maintain that good lean body mass, which is going to stimulate caloric burn in the body. 
but also there are unique mechanisms to whey protein that help specifically with satiety as well as even helping with like lactoferrin and glutathione when we're looking at a non-denatured whey like we have in our naturally nourished grass-fed whey. Um, so I'll link that episode and also our smoothie ebook mm-hmm. um, because that's a great $1.99 add-on to help you with your weight loss journey as we're starting to think already about the new year. Sure. And, and you know, a big reason why in our keto program, we have you do a shake with grass-fed whey pretty much every day. Yep. Yep. Most definitely. Not only is it something you don't have to think about and is easy to prepare, but it is a great way to ensure that you are getting that compound to help with that satiety. Okay. Um, and then also talking about things that stimulate GLP-1, we're looking at calcium, actually. Yes. So there's an extracellular calcium sensing receptor, CASR, if you will. And this is expressed in functioning in the GLP-1 producing cells uh, in the gut there as a sensor for specific amino acids and peptides. Um, so ensuring, and this would be another way to think of in the food as medicine world, this would be looking at things like bone in fish. So like sardines mm-hmm. would be a fabulous choice here or I love the traditional sockeye salmon that is canned with the bones intact Um, maybe we'll link our episode for our salmon salad Um, that'd be a great one that you can do and um, you also might be considering here Greek yogurt as a great option or as I mentioned with our peak uh, peak state coffee sponsor uh, raw milk would be another great way to get this satiety factor and that calcium boost. Sure. And you're getting protein, you're getting fat, you're getting all of, of the other things too that are going to enhance GLP-1. So. And immunoglobulins, yes. great for this time of the year too. Um, and then soluble fiber would also be another intervention here. Yes. So soluble fiber is going to give us, of course, that delayed gastric emptying. But again, what I love about this is that we're talking about stimulating the GLP-1 secretion and the mechanism of action at a timestamp. You know, you're not constantly going to be dripping fiber into your body, for instance, right? So getting soluble fiber from incorporating chia seed, which is a big recommendation we have with our keto program too. We always say one tablespoon of chia seed gives you 10 grams of fiber. And although we're keeping your total carbs at 30 grams a day to start, we want everyone to get at least 15 grams of fiber. So a lot of people use our phytofiber supplement and that tablespoon of chia seed, um, or also this is a big argument of why we have that blend of insoluble and soluble fiber in our leafy greens. Um, but for diabetics and for individuals that have issues with satiety and are dealing with cravings and not feeling satiated or full at mealtimes, they might go further and consider glucomannan. Um, I've used glucomannan also with individuals that have uh, IBS or uh, loose chronic stools or um, bowels that have a difficult time binding, if you will. Uh, glucomannan is a from the cognac root. Um, this is also what like miracle noodles are made mm-hmm. out of, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's tons of brands of these on the market now. We can link a couple in my Amazon store. And um, I've been doing a lot of like pho um, with patients where I'll have them take a jar of the fond bone broth, heat up some of those miracle noodles or miracle rice. And basically it is glucomannan. Um, there are zero total grams of carbs in this. And then you're getting your 20 grams of protein and a nice amount of L-glutamine in that bone broth. Um, a really great way to get a savory end of the day. And, um, you're going to get that satiety stretch receptor function and glucomannan also, um, I have used in a powdered form with clients, but usually that's only only leaning if we're looking for lipid lowering sure. effects or if they're really dealing with that lack of satiety or um, that loose bowel and I really want to help them with the binding. Sure. Um, and so, you know, all of these dietary approaches, even thinking the fiber or the glucomannan, you know, we'd see improvement of digestive health. We'd see lipid lowering effects versus driving GI and other side effects, creating dependency. Um, and there are really, you know, amazing outcomes we're seeing just with phyto compounds um, as well, providing antioxidants where we can see enhanced mechanisms of weight loss in the body. Yes, Um, totally. And so, you know, we also see this clearly with immune response. It's not surprising that we see it with metabolic health as well. Yes. So, you know, we've talked macros, if you will, of like how different types of fat impact, how different um, protein and the importance of getting in the protein. Um, But phytocompounds are kind of like the icing on the cake, if you will. And uh, we're pretty big proponents of always having phytocompounds, which would be basically 
plant-based antioxidants. Um, but before I get into nerdy stuff, I want to talk quercetin. I want to talk EGCG and some of these like really enhanced boosts that we can get with antioxidants on top. Um, I do want to share a little bit on our upcoming 12-week live food is medicine ketosis class because I think that this is the best way to get sustainable weight loss results, reverse diabetes. That's right. I said reverse diabetes and at a more affordable approach that is going to have, like you said, Becky, this synergy of beneficial outcomes. Yes. So keto program starts on Wednesday, January 18th, right around the corner. Um, it's going to run from 12 to about 115 or so, sometimes 130. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> jam-packed. Um, with a live class taught by Allie and myself every other week. Um, so it's a bi-weekly class. You have kind of a down week to get your homework done and get things rocking. Each class is going to have food as medicine goals that you kind of slowly build up so that you're doing all of the things we've just talked about, like incorporating bone broth and phyto compounds and all of the things. Um, so six live 90 minute classes, we have probably 20 plus handouts and interactive worksheets that you'll kind of work through in your virtual classroom as we go through the weeks. You also get direct engagement with Allie and myself on our Slack forum. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll be able to ask questions, post your macros, troubleshoot, post a beautiful recipe that you made and so much more and get, you know, real-time feedback from other people in the group and timely feedback from us. Um, we provide a lot of supplement and lab recommendations as well as lab discounts, I would note, um, with savings upwards of $250 on some labs, um, like the MRT, um, and which then, pays for the class itself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you need more convincing? If you've been thinking about that, just get the class and then, you know, you get your discounted MRT. Um, and then the eat fat and get skinny and ketogenic kickstart eBooks that are also jam packed. So the eat fat, get skinny is 50 plus keto friendly recipes, lots and lots of phyto compounds, lots of olive oil in yes. there, um, really yummy recipes. And then the ketogenic kickstart is more the strategy science kind of nerdy ebook of applying this and putting it all together. Yes. And I will note also that with our 12-week food as medicine keto program, you get a customizable protocol and we do have adjusted protocols or guidance in the protocol development, if you will, for those that are dealing with hypothyroidism or adrenal fatigue, as well as those that are pregnant or breastfeeding, a modified protocol for those individuals. We have an autoimmune gut protocol. So wherever you are in your healing journey, we're going to see you, hear you, and support you and help you to take your health to the next level. Um, so really a unique opportunity. We have not done this live for over a year and we cannot wait to do this program with you. Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com, check out books and programs and make sure you sign up for the live Food is Medicine Keto program. It's $299, less than either Ozempic or we Jovi or Govi um, without the side effects and all of the good things that come with it. And I just want to share a quick testimonial that each of us will read and then we'll get right back into the nitty gritty. Uh, this one's titled Clear Thinking and Experiencing Food Freedom, two of my favorite things. I thoroughly enjoyed the ketosis class. I feel wonderful and wish I would have done this sooner. I have lost weight, inches, improved my energy levels, and have experienced an improvement in my mental clarity. I now view food differently and have totally eliminated cravings. I learned how to change recipes to still taste amazing, but reduce or eliminate the sugar and carb content and have for the first time ever been able to take my kids for ice cream without white knuckling cravings or feeling out of control. Amazing. I so love that. Yes. Amazing. And I'll say that's very in alignment with the freedom that I have felt that I've experienced by using a food as medicine keto approach. Yes. Um, this course was great and I felt really empowered. I appreciated the practical attitude about eating and the realistic approach. I, there's a good chance you'll fall off the wagon at some point, but you don't allow that to derail you mentally or otherwise. I really appreciated that Ali shared the science and empirical evidence for her program even though it was challenging. I really appreciated the support of the Slack group and knowing that I could get my questions answered quickly by Allie and Becky throughout that forum. 
Awesome. Love okay. It. Love so it, let's nerd it. out on phyto compounds, but you might want to take a pause and go on over and grab you a spot. We're only allowing a hundred individuals and we're more than halfway sold out as we're talking to you mid December. So make sure that you don't miss putting this on your Christmas list. If that's what you want to do yes. from a loved one, or you can also even get a naturally nourished gift card and use that towards your class. Yes. All right. Um, so let's talk about some of these key phyto compounds, um, that we were alluding to prior and, first what they are. Yes. So when we're looking at phytocompounds, these are basically phytochemical rich foods uh, that reveal a wide range of potential health benefits against disease states. Uh, we're looking at flavonoids as the class of low molecular weight phenolic compounds that are widely distributed in plants. And flavonoids are the most known phytochemical family, if you will, or phytocompound family. Um, the anti-diabetic effect of flavonoids are particularly attributed to their antioxidant properties and the ability that they can modulate cellular signaling. So again, remember that elevations in blood sugar levels drives more free radicals or more more oxidative stress. So when we take in higher antioxidants in the diet, they're able to reduce that oxidative stress and favorably impact the function of the body. Um, we've looked specifically to see that quercetin, which is a big compound we think of in onions and apples even, and tea. Um, quercetin has ameliorated hyperglycemia or elevations in blood sugar and oxidative stress by lowering that free radical-induced toxicity. And, and this is pulling from a research study that I'm going to link in the show notes. Um, we saw that flavonoids in general um, reportedly can inhibit carbohydrate blood sugar impact of digestion, um, can slow down the absorption of the glucose, and can support or enhance metabolism. Um, we've seen also that the flavonoids can actually inhibit pancreatic alpha amylase in a dose-dependent manner, and that this can suppress glucose uptake by both the GLUT1 and GLUT2 uh, receptors in the gut. So we're not creating a physiological impact, but the mechanism of how quickly that lighter fluid response is from the carb consumption will be mitigated or at least offset to some level when we are getting these phytocompounds and antioxidants in. So I want to go through a couple specifically, um, and we can just kind of go back and fourth Becky the first one I'll highlight is um epigenin and I'm not sure if I'm, I'm butchering these but it's a-p-i-g-e-n-i-n I'd call it epigenin 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 that's <laughs> sure. cute it is cute way of saying it it might be epigenin but we'll see anyway it increases glp1 and the best sources of this are uh parsley chamomile celery vine spinach, artichokes, and oregano. And we do see richest sources in the dried forms. So actually, um, as we were getting into recording, we were both um, eating some gremolata that I had made at the market. Um, so this was a parsley lemon, kind of like a pesto, but mm -hmm. made with a stronger drive of parsley. You're also getting a good amount of garlic in there. Um, but even, so that would be great to use gremolata on top of your savory proteins, like your chicken thighs, um, or just regularly using a dried Italian seasoning in the household on on any of your protein choices or rolling that into goat cheese balls or into your scrambled eggs. Um, this would be a great way to get an enhancement there. Yes. And, you know, we know we talk about oregano and its effect on the microbiome all the time too. So fantastic synergy there. And you just reminded me I have gremolata in my freezer from when I had an abundance of parsley. Yeah. Last year. Um, curcumin would be the next one. So we see curcumin in turmeric, obviously. Um, and this um, is going to increase GLP-1 and help to enhance that glucose tolerance. So, you know, I'm thinking use of turmeric in curries, mm -hmm. turmeric roasted cashews, which are up on the blog and such a delicious, just savory, salty, crunchy snack. YouTube too. We can share the video. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, goes really well on a charcuterie board with yes. that gremolata and goat cheese balls that you were mentioning. Yeah. We're making a whole <laughs> yep. holiday plate yep. for you. <laughs> um, and then super turmeric would be the supplemental form to even further enhance and again, get synergistic benefits in the body of reduction of inflammation. That's our go-to, you know, instead of Advil in our households. Yeah. And I think of, you know, when, when I was on book tour, we were doing that uh, bone broth where we were taking just like the bonafide chicken bone broth and doing uh, 
turmeric powder with a little bit of full fat coconut milk and cilantro. Um, and that was always so popular and desirable. So that's a great way to kind of sip on and get that glutamine that we were talking about earlier um, as well. So that'd yes. be another kind of two for one. Yeah. Okay. EGCG or epigalactocatechin 3 Galite. <laughs> I always just call it EGCG. EGCG. Yeah, this is like a drinking game. Okay. Um, EGCG increases uh, GLP-1 as well um, and also aids in glucose tolerance and can support body fat burn. Uh, we look to this high, primarily in tea. So green tea, which would include matcha at an even higher dosage, uh, white tea, oolong, and black tea. So that would be something to go check out at like Wild Foods, which we always give you that Ali Miller RD discount there. Um, I love all of their teas. They're fabulous, but would be a great boost of this antioxidant. We see some EGCG as well in cranberries, strawberries, blackberries, kiwis, cherries, pears, peaches, apples, and avocados, and then even in some nuts like pecans, pistachios, and hazelnuts. Um, so the food is medicine recommendation here would be to add in addition, if you're still doing like, you're fine doing your peak peak state coffee in the morning and then, you know, sip on still two glasses of green tea daily to help to get that EGCG blend or use matcha in culinary approach. Maybe add matcha into your Greek yogurt with your blackberries and blueberries. And then that way you're getting that calcium boost also and getting some of that protein in. I love it. Um, or sipping on an afternoon matcha, maybe yes. even like the, the peak matcha sachets. Um, yes. that would be a really easy, just kind of tear them open, mix that with water, throw some lemon in there and you're good to go. Um, you're getting your EGCG boost. Yes. Okay. This is a fun game, isn't it? I know. Hispigilin. Hispigilin. Yeah. Hispigilin. <laughs> I know hesperidin, but hispigilin is yeah. a little bit of a different. This I know. Is, this is a fun one. I will post the, the research study table that has yeah, all yeah, these yeah. actually. And uh, maybe we'll make an Instagram visual with it. That'll help. To Either way. <laughs> solidify these. But um, we see hispigilin increasing that GLP-1 in plasma levels as well as improved glucose tolerance. Um, and this is found in that thyme, sage, oregano family of herbs. Um, so again, going back to the gremolata and maybe adding thyme and sage yeah. in there. Um, I mean, those get, those get to shine in the, you know, fall winter time in our recipes anyway. Yes. Um, but adding sage over your butternut squash soup Yum. and, you know, I put thyme in virtually everything. I grow it in my garden and, you know, have a ton of it in my bone broth, um, when I make broth and then herbal immune on a yes. supplemental level has all of those things. So, Hey, look at us. Yep. Giving you all the tools. <laughs> and so herbal immune might be one you'd even bring in, especially, you know, we think of this more like upper respiratory for um, congestion or cough, um, definitely in a viral effect. We use herbal immune in our gut cleanse for candida, dysbiosis, and, you know, it's in that Beat the Bloat bundle and the Beat the Bloat program. And again, what's really cool about this synergy here is, okay, so you're getting high antioxidant. You're maybe using the herbal immune as a tool for blood sugar tolerance and for weight loss, but you're also plowing the gut, which is going to reduce that LPS, which is going to reduce that GLP-1 demand, which will help you over time to be less deficient in it and help you to actually replete your stores so you have good ongoing maintenance of satiety and aren't constantly dependent on that influence or mechanism. Awesome. All okay. right. You do this one. Hesperidin yep. um, and quercetin. These both increase GLP-1 secretion and reduce plasma glucose levels. So all, you know, this study was looking specifically at the satiety and blood sugar regulation effect. This study came out in 2021 um, and it is looking at, of course, more of a functional medicine approach to how can we replace these medications that are way too too costly and costly both on a financial level as well as the side effect level. So I found this um, really research paper to be pretty cool identifying more of the food as medicine elements. Um, if we're looking for these compounds, we're looking a lot at citrus bioflavonoids. Um, I already mentioned quercetin also in your allium family. So your onions, shallots, garlic, leeks, um, but we'd be looking at getting citrus zest into foods and consuming uh, oranges, tangelos, you name it, all the fun ones <laughs> that are out there now, um, kumquats, uh, Meyer lemon. I've been doing a lot of Meyer lemon. I did a Meyer lemon salad dressing with a bunch of these herbs like the uh, sage and thyme. 
Um, and these would all be fabulous in the food is medicine family. And then just starting with more onions and garlic. So like our 40 clove of garlic soup, of course, would be fabulous. Caramelizing onions and using these on top of any protein. And then the BioC Plus would have these compounds in there. You're actually getting that out of that quercetin, the bioflavonoids, the source being from acerola cherry versus a synthetic uh, ascorbic acid um, and 600 milligrams of vitamin C, which in itself is an antioxidant, which again, we know the mechanism on supporting the obesity and blood sugar control is the fact that these are antioxidants and that these all are going to reduce that oxidative stress, which are going to enhance the mechanisms of metabolism. And I would say one more to note, especially for dealing with daily aches and pains, would be inflammazyme because that would have the curcumin in there. Um, that does have boswellia in there, which is another uh, compound that is a high antioxidant. There is a, a bunch of different anti-inflammatory botanicals that are also antioxidant rich. And we did see independent also in studies, some of these um, peptidases like peptidases and um, proteolytic enzymes as having also a unique mechanism on regulating the uh, GLP-1. And there's also studies on digestion digestive enzymes, so the pepsin, trypsin, chemotrypsin, and pancreatin, um, these all also can have a role in regulating that satiety response and supporting pancreatic function instead of chronically taxing the pancreas sure. and driving yeah. that inflammation. Yep. Um, and just while we're on kind of the supplemental side of things, what about berberine? Because I know, you know, we've talked about this so much in terms of its strong hypoglycemic effects. Does berberine impact GLP-1 in the same way or is that something totally different? Yeah. So when I was uh, looking into this, I was like, oh, well, you know, when I'm writing this episode, I'm sure I'll find an influence on berberine because duh, yeah, it's like the most known hypo glycemic influencer. Um, but no, berberine actually increases glucose uptake by our muscle fibers independent of insulin levels. And that's what kind of makes it safer for a long-term sure. tool for yep. blood sugar effect. Because remember that insulin as a hormone itself is anabolic. Um, insulin in itself is a pro-inflammatory compound. And so when we're looking at like tumorigenic activity or cancer research, we want to keep insulin levels at a baseline low. So, you know, even though these botanicals will have an influence influence on GLP-1, we wouldn't want to drive, 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 drive this GLP-1 as the primary expression. It's all about synergy and balance in the body. And again, what we're seeing in those botanicals and phytocompounds is not just a GLP-1 influence and not a remarkably elevated one, a moderate response, but really it's the antioxidant effect reducing the free radicals that tends to yield the beneficial outcome. So berberine actually triggers the AMPK activation, and this increases glycogen glycolysis, this is going to decrease insulin resistance and decrease oxygen respiration. So this is the mechanism that leads to a reduction in gluconeogenesis in the liver. So it's going to reduce the liver from dumping sugar into the bloodstream essentially, and that's its primary mechanism of lowering blood sugar. Um, now I did see that there could be some GLP-1 moderate influence, but that's not again the light switch effect. The light switch effect is really independent of insulin response and more more on the muscle fiber influence. Got it. Okay. Um, so we talked about how to stimulate GLP-1, upregulate the mechanisms um, that the semaglutide injectables do, but is that what it's all about? Because I think, you know, when we think of keto, it's so multi-mechanistic and, and that's super key about the outcomes we see. Right. Again, just like I was saying with the berberine, right? It's not like we're just looking for what's the highest GLP-1 and how do we keep that elevated chronically? Mm. We're looking at supporting the metabolic health of the body, right? So we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket per se. Um, we want to look at the multiple mechanisms of action and what is going to stimulate various pathways to regulate balance metabolic response for favorable blood sugar lowering and weight loss results. So we look at uh, Verda Health Studies, which is, you know, really great funding like Dr. Volick um, is through them. And that's where we'll see a lot of the influence on reversal of diabetes using a ketogenic diet. Um, and the literature there, I'll link um, a, a journal from Frontiers, long-term effects of novel continuous remote care intervention, including nutritional ketosis for management of type 2 diabetes. 
Um, and they saw that the keto intervention group sustained long-term beneficial effects on multiple clinical markers of diabetes and cardiovascular health at two years while utilizing less medication. Um, and that the intervention was also effective in the resolution, that's where we're talking remission, resolution of diabetes and visceral obesity with no adverse effects on bone health, um, which is really huge. We've seen lowered A1C by 1.3% on average after a year and improved insulin resistance. Um, and I know in our program, we've seen lowered A1C by 4% in some individuals that were very uncontrolled. Um, and that can be achieved by diet strategy alone with consistency. Um, we've seen sustained loss of 12% of body weight over the year. And remember when I was talking about the injectables, we were hitting like three to 5%. Um, we've seen a prevalence of class three obesity, um, among participants reducing from 46% to 20%, an average of 26 pounds of weight loss in one year. Um, so pretty remarkable outcomes. And that was with diet therapy and consistency of accountability with like coaching and education. So when we look at mechanisms of keto that support weight loss, again, we will hit on one of them with GLP-1, but when you look at using ketosis, it's really a synergistic shield, if you will, versus a one light switch effect. Um, so let's hit on some of the different areas of the body where keto would influence metabolism, and then we'll wrap things up. Sure. So starting with keto being muscle sparing and fat burning, this is huge because, you know, so many diets out there, and, and I don't know about Ozempic, but most likely we're going to see, you know, weight loss from muscle mass as well as body fat. Um, and that in turn is going to downregulate your metabolism because how many calories you burn is directly tied to how much muscle mass is on your body. Mm -hmm. So sparing muscle with keto means you're going to maintain that muscle and burn more fat ultimately. Yes. And, um, what was that? There's a compound, um, what was it used in the past weight loss, like early two thousands, um, human growth hormone, yeah, yeah. HGH, yeah, yeah. the HGH diet, the oh, HGH yeah. drops, the HGH. So this is like the new HGH, right? right, right, right. Again. Yep. So ketosis actually enhances HGH. Again, do you have to put all your eggs in that basket? No, but that's the mechanism in which it's muscle sparing. Mm -hmm. So the second one with appetite regulation and satiety is that yes, ketosis independent of any of these phyto compounds or any of these particular influencing factors enhances GLP-1. So this is the mechanism that we've been nerding out on today and you can actually get an increase in GLP-1 just by going ketogenic. Um, and the brain, I think, is huge. So we see reduced reactive oxygen species in the brain, enhanced neurogenesis, enhanced BDNF. Your brain runs better on ketones. We're going to see more clarity of thought. Um, and this can also, you know, in turn be used as a tool in aging populations to enhance cognitive clarity, you know, reverse some of that early dementia or at least stave it off. Absolutely. And I would extend that into mood. So sure. that's why I use the ketogenic diet as a foundation in the anti-anxiety diet, because we know that ketones cross that blood brain barrier and that in that mechanism, there's some gabernogenic effect that GABA, remember, is that um, kind of landing gear for our fight or flight stress response. So when you're in a state of nutritional ketosis, you have more grounding effect in the mood, um, less volatility. We've seen it used even in schizophrenia, manic depressive disorder, bipolar disorder. As ketones cross that blood brain barrier, it really mellows out the brain. So on a mood level, on an inflammation level, that's why we look at ketosis, of course, as a powerful tool for epilepsy, even on the level of that severe of a neurological stress response. And then last but certainly not least, seeing anti-inflammatory effects of keto. So, you know, number one in our keto approach, we're removing pro-inflammatory foods. It's a super squeaky clean food as medicine keto. And then two, just on a mechanistic level, we're looking at ketones as a cleaner fuel with less oxidative demand than glucose. Yes. 
So I think we've covered pretty nerdy influencing factors. I think the only one we really missed out on is the world of hormone. Oh yeah, that's a big one Which is worth noting. We see so many keto miracle babies in our program um, because you actually can use elevations of DHEA as a fuel source with nutritional ketosis. So for individuals that have PCOS or are driving with adrenal imbalance, um, those that are running high fight or flight response, DHEA can get metabolized down through a state of nutritional ketosis. We've seen ketosis helping with the FSH-LH ratio, which is your follicular stimulating hormone to your luteinizing hormone, and that regulates ovulation and um, fertility outcomes, as well as regulating menstrual cycle. And then we also know that through nutritional ketosis, we can see balanced estrogen dominance or aiding in estrogen detoxification. And I would highlight that's really unique to our food as medicine keto approach. I've seen many go estrogen dominant when they're doing a dirty keto and they're doing way too much dairy um, or they're not getting enough of that fiber because they're not binding and excreting that circulating estrogen that's liberated from their fat. And that's where individuals could have results, but then they fall off and then they're at a roadblock. Um, So there is, of course, so much science and strategy in how we approach nutritional ketosis. I have been clinically leading programs for over 14 years now, which is crazy to say out loud. I know I said decade forever and then I'm like, I got to guess round that up. It's been too long. I've been saying that. Yes. So, uh, you know, it would be really a pleasure and an honor to have you guys join on in. Again, we only have a couple spots left, but I am quite confident that you will find a new food freedom and resilience in your body that you didn't know you could experience. And we would be both be super thrilled to support you in that journey. So uh, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com, check out books and programs, snag yourself a spot, um, share this episode with a household member or family member or friend or coworker who's all about the Ozempics train and maybe needs to question the sustainability, the affordability, and the potential harmful effects that their body could experience when we have offerings that are going to be favorable for whole body health. And if you're not really sure yet that the program is right for you, check out also episode 262 of the Naturally Nourished podcast on the Keto Immune Connection, uh, episode 99, Ketosis as Medicine, and episode 237, Mediterranean Keto. And that's kind of what highlights what makes our approach to keto unique. I'll link those all in the show notes, which you can find at naturallynourishedrd.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.